Blessed be the God of love. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a fun reading. Today's gospel passage uh, continues uh, readings from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, from the Gospel of Matthew that we have been hearing uh, over the course of the last several weeks. And today's passage is full of what are often called the, quote, hard sayings of Jesus. And many commentators have said that this gospel passage we just heard is one of the most challenging passages in the entire New Testament. Which is a reminder to myself to always uh, read the gospel passage for a Sunday before I assign who is preaching. Uh, Which I failed to do in this case. One of the commentaries I read about this gospel passage, the writer said, as Christians... We have developed elaborate strategies for avoiding these commandments. We have developed elaborate strategies for avoiding these commandments. Many of which amount to Jesus didn't really mean that. Jesus really does mean what he says in this gospel passage. But we must see it. In the proper context. Jesus in this passage and in the Sermon on the Mount is proclaiming a radical vision, a kingdom vision for the Christian community. The vision is based on love and is a call for all Christians, all disciples of Jesus to love others regardless of who they are as God loves us. This is perfectly captured in the collect for the day. O Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Jesus' commandments in this passage, such as turn the other cheek, speak against what was called the law of retaliation. In Hebrew scripture, the law of retaliation is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It is based on revenge. It is the Hatfields and the McCoys. It is Israelis and Palestinians. It is all those feuds throughout the ages. Jesus' message is that evil and violence are not and cannot be vanquished by more evil and violence. Only love, only love transforms the hearts of those who would do us wrong. In essence, Jesus is saying, don't just play the game. Change the rules And make a new game. But when we hear this about if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. If someone begs from you, give to them. I want to say a few things about what Jesus does not mean in this passage. 
Jesus does not mean that we are to tolerate abuse. Especially ways in which this passage may be used to justify domestic violence or other forms of abuse. Just turn the other cheek. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Nor is Jesus saying that the Christian community should tolerate people who are destructive to the life of that community. Perhaps one of the trickiest lines in this whole passage is the very end where it says, Be perfect, as God the Father is perfect. I don't know about you, but be perfect is pretty heavy. It's it's pretty heavy. I mean, how do you do that? Perfection is an unattainable expectation. It is unattainable. Only God is perfect. I feel like I've struggled with issues around perfectionism my whole life, especially as a student. So worried that the work I would do wouldn't be perfect, I just procrastinate forever. Right? Because, you know, if I don't do it, I can't fail. Right? It might not be perfect, but I can't fail because I didn't do it. It makes no sense at all, right? It's absurd. But that is the pressure of perfectionism. Right? I mean, we would all say that expecting perfection from our children is bad parenting. Well, God's not a bad parent. That is not what Jesus is talking about. A colleague, uh, an Episcopal priest in Virginia, wrote a great blog post this week saying that the use of this word, be perfect, is a bad translation and bad theology. And that what the word really means is a better translation is be whole, be complete. Make decisions that move toward wholeness, that express the wholeness of the love of God. Bill Rankin was telling me that another translation he heard uh, of the word that is used in the original passage is to be perfect means to be even-handed, to be just, to be just as God is just. The passage asks us to do something very tricky. Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now for us, it's important to understand that Scripture, the Scripture we have inherited, was written by and for people who were being persecuted. And in the face of that persecution... Jesus is proclaiming a nonviolent resistance, a resistance of love. But here's the challenge. Well, it was written to a community that was persecuted. We don't hear it as persecuted people. It's hard to claim that anyone of us gathered in this church in Marin County is persecuted. We are not risking imprisonment 
or deaf by attending this worship service. It's hard to see any of us as persecuted. Indeed, we are the dominant culture, unlike the culture of the early Christian church. This can make it really hard for us to relate to this passage because it's speaking to persecution and yet we hear it from a position of the dominant culture. As people of privilege, we need to see a critical component of this gospel passage. That is this. In this passage, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is commanding how we are to act. He is commanding, making commandments about our behavior. This means that as Christians, we have God-given responsibilities about how we behave towards others, whether neighbor or enemy. God-given responsibilities. This is a challenge in America. The way we interpret this message in our country. There is, I believe, a myth in America about the primacy of God-given religious liberty and freedom. And the notion that God-given religious freedom and liberty, which is very important, I'm not saying it's not important, but that it is the most important thing, is fed by this notion that Christians, who are in fact the dominant culture, are somehow being persecuted. That as Christians we are persecuted in this country, even though we represent power and the dominant culture. I think the most poignant example of what I'm trying to get at was legislation that was passed in Arizona this past week, which is being called the Keep Away the Gay Law, which allows business owners in Arizona, even if their business is open to the general public, to refuse service to anyone who is gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, on the ground that serving that person would violate their own religious convictions, and therefore they have the religious freedom and right to refuse service to someone who is gay or lesbian or transgendered. Now it is one thing for some Christians to interpret their faith or their scripture to say that a homosexual orientation is somehow sinful. I disagree with that interpretation, but some people hold that. And some people may believe that the church being involved in blessing same-sex marriages or unions is wrong. But to enact that as a part of society and as a part of our government is problematic. And the problem is this. It puts this notion of God-given religious liberty and freedom above Jesus' very commandment to love your neighbor and to love those who you perceive as your enemy 
and to love neighbor and enemy as yourself. That is what Jesus commands us to do, to love our neighbor and our enemy as ourselves. So as Christians, we need to make sure that we are not the people striking someone on the cheek and then expecting them to turn and offer us the other cheek. As Christians, especially those of us who are heterosexual, we need to make sure that we do not stand idly by where our gay and lesbian and transgender brothers and sisters are persecuted by our own fellow Christians. But how do we do that in the light of today's gospel? Which calls us to something very different than the bitter fighting that occurs over these issues in our country and in churches, including within the Episcopal Church. I want to tell you a story of love. I have two friends that I've had for many years, both Christians, both Episcopalians. One of them is gay, both men. One is gay, one is straight. And when I met the one who is straight, for the most part, he had some concerns about um, uh, the sinfulness of sexual orientation and especially in opposition to uh, same-sex marriage being blessed in the church. Now, obviously, these two friends did not agree on many of these issues. But they stayed in relationship and stayed connected and worked and shared and talked, expressing their differences on these views. My straight friend ended up going through a very painful divorce. And it was my gay friend who probably reached out to him the most in a pastoral way to offer his love and support. And my straight friend said, it's kind of odd that someone who holds the positions I do around marriage to get divorced in the first place, uh, while I'm maintaining these views about gay marriage or even about, he was conflicted over his own going through a divorce. But these guys stayed in relationship. And they stayed committed. And my gay friend reaching out in love to another friend who totally disagreed with him became something that was quite transformational and really a wonder to behold. Recently, my gay friend got married. And one of the first people to buy a plane ticket to come to the wedding was my straight friend. Unfortunately, Weather ended up canceling his flight and he couldn't make it. But now they both express profound love in Christ for each other. And the bond they have created with each other has transformed both of them and is truly profound. It, is not, it was not the law of retaliation. It was the law of love staying engaged in Christ that transformed both of them. 
To me, this story is the essence of the gospel passage that we heard today. I preached a couple weeks ago about, um, I think it was Father Chris's Dash Diet for Christians, right? I'm not good with the alliteration there. Disciples always serve and heal. And I gave you homework. And a parishioner wrote to me and said, I think you should give us homework more often. I think all the clergy should give us homework more often. She's here today, so if you have complaints, don't bring them to me. So I do have some homework for you. Here is your homework for the week. The first is to pray for your enemies. We all have enemies in some form, some grudge, something, someone that we consider an enemy. Pray for that person every day this week. Do not pray for them in the way that I am inclined to pray for them, which is to ask God to transform them into the person that I think they should be. I don't know, there's a famous, uh, it's attributed as an Irish prayer, right? May God turn the hearts of our enemies, and if God won't turn the hearts of our enemies, may God turn their ankles so we will know them by their limping. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just holding that person before God and asking God's love upon them without qualification. And it's hard. It's hard. But part of it is letting go, right? Because love heals us too, right? I think I quoted it several weeks ago. I think it was Desmond Tutu that said, you know, holding on to hatred is like uh, drinking rat poison and expecting it to kill your enemy. So just hold that person up and offer them to God and let God take care of it from there. The second item of homework is this. Think about how you can reach out in love to those you know who would live by the law of retaliation. How can you reach out in love to those who live by the law of retaliation? extra credit. I have an extra credit assignment. Two parts. I encourage you to watch the movie The Apostle with Robert Duvall in light of today's gospel passage. The second part is to think of a film where love plays a transformational role in converting an enemy, or love conquering evil. Now, I need a list of films on this theme to watch during my sabbatical. So, God bless you, and please share your extra credit homework.